0: Morning, YouTube. Uh, thanks, Dwayne. That was an encouraging introduction. Um, yeah, Dwayne and I have had some good time together. If there's a PowerPoint somewhere, then uh, I guess I can't see it so easily. So I want to start with, uh, with a Where's Waldo activity, um, if I can do that, if you'll permit me. So Where's Waldo? There's no one in red and white stripes here, but the preacher this morning is in that picture somewhere, if you can find him he's wearing rubber boots uh, that was my signature dress-up um, item was my my green and black rubber boots and the chairperson for this morning service is also in that picture can anyone find him put your hand up if you can find Mr. Coop if you can find daddy you found him all right anyone else no one all right one other person has found Duane so far someone else good all right okay I think we're up to at least five here so Dwayne is in the gorgeous yellow tie and pink shirt. <laughs> if you hadn't found him yet, so uh, Dwayne and I share a similar taste for fashion, I guess, <laughs> or lack. <laughs> that's more that's more accurate, I think. Good. So I never dreamed that Dwayne would be attending church in my old hometown. So this is cool. I learned to play football, not very well, but right across the street in the in the yard of the school there, and. This was actually one of the churches where I first really encountered the Holy Spirit. Um, one of my friends in school invited me to come sometimes to youth events. His name was Dan, and I'm grateful for him and for just the, the bit of flavor that this church has added into my spiritual journey. So it's real good to be here. And Paul has also come into my, my friendship circle too. My friends Scott and Steinbeck at the Salt and Light Church there introduced Paul and I together. We had a wonderful breakfast a few years back, and we've been friends since then, getting together here and there so I really appreciate Lama Christian fellowship. So a question I want to start with is a tough one. Let's see if you can answer this. How many seeds are in this apple? Who can guess? Kayla? Five. Five all right, good guess. Any other guesses? 12, 10, 8, and 15. 15 is my guess and the reason is 100 maybe 100 that's right we don't know do we the only way for us to know what's in this apple is if it goes through a crisis it has to get cut deeply and then we can actually see what's inside and so i did that a little while ago and, and i counted 15 in that apple that i cut open i don't actually know how many And my son really wanted to eat the apple, but I told him he had to come along with me if he was going to eat it, and he had to volunteer in Sunday school at our church. (laughs) So maybe I get to eat it after church. The next question, what's inside of all of you? What's in you? We can't really see it, but there's vision, there's plans, there's dreams, there's skills, there's talents, there's spiritual gifts, there's future decisions— past decisions, memories, hopes, all of these things are inside each one of you that's here this morning, and almost here this morning. Each one of you has these things inside of you. And all of you have potential, you're filled with it. Positive potential, negative potential, it's there for all of us. We could all stand or fall. Your future words, your future acts, and often it takes a crisis to find out what's inside of us how are we going to respond how are we going to react crisis is tough it doesn't show up when it's a convenient time for us it doesn't play nice a month ago a tornado took the lives of two 18 year olds in melita and a week later i was speaking in the boys of Vain church and just i observed them kind of mourning it was a it was a neighboring town but it affected everybody these two young lives So it could be anything, maybe many people experience job loss this year. It could be an accident, it could be a diagnosis, it could be a death of someone you love. There's so many things that hit us. All of us know about crisis, we've all gone through hard times, we all understand that. So how do we respond in a crisis? I would say a normal way is self-preservation, that's, that's what most of us do. So I know that when we were in Asia, there was uh, an earthquake, and so we had a little glass cup with a spoon, so anytime there was an earthquake, it would rattle and help us get out of bed. We would jump out, run to the next room, pick up our kids, run down the stairs, out the house and just kind of wait until the earth stopped shaking. It was a really weird feeling. I don't think I had any earthquakes here in Manitoba that I ever felt. So. Um I mean, it was kind of cool, but I had to remember, okay, this is actually dangerous. And just outside the city were the white mountains, and there it was devastating. And so our group was able to send relief and supplies up into the villages there to help them to have homes again. COVID-19, self-preservation means stockpiling food or maybe the white stuff there that we need so badly. Got to put gas in the tank, maybe take out some extra cash to have on hand with us. Self-preservation is a God-given instinct. Caution and prudence are healthy. These are healthy things. But self-preservation can become too strong in our life. And we sometimes live this way in self-preservation mode, even if there's no crisis taking place around us. We can become insular. Instead of maintaining a large circle of cares for others, we can draw that circle in tight sometimes. We become afraid of change. We want to hoard our resources. We want to avoid new relationships. We can become afraid of change. Even lethargic, being afraid to go out, being afraid to have this experience of expedition somehow in our lives. King David slipped into this insular living, and he didn't go out at wartime, and he fell into adultery. When we remember King David's story, it reminds us it reminds us that sometimes we actually expose ourselves to greater danger by avoiding danger and by clinging to safety and comfort. When we take safety into our own hands, we step outside of God's will. The Bible talks a lot about safety. But none of you can quote the verse to me that says, be thou safe. (laughs) It's not in there. Safety is clearly presented as something that God provides us with. We look to him for safety. When we pursue safety first, we can miss God. When we pursue following the way of Jesus first, then he takes responsibility for us as we walk in this world. It's a dangerous world, and he doesn't promise us safety. I mean, yeah, he'll keep us safe when we need to be safe. And I have lots of stories of how God has kept me safe, both in Canada and overseas. But sometimes he chooses to let us get hurt. Sometimes he even harms us himself. first, I didn't believe that, but I've found enough Bible verses since then that say it very clearly that I know that God even harms us. He hurts us. He bruises, but he binds up, right? Jesus often spoke to this insular life of self-preservation. Matthew 16:25 says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Jesus understood all about losing his life. He understood what it means to pass from death into life. That was his experience. Two key verses for this morning are John 12, 24, and 25. There we read this. I tell you the truth. Unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone. But its death will produce many new kernels, a plentiful harvest of new lives. Those who love their life in this world will lose it, Those who care nothing for their life in this world will keep it for eternity. My sermon this morning is living a life of multiplication and I can sum it up in this. God is all about multiplication. He's doing it in the Muslim world. He wants to do it here too. And God brings multiplication when we let go of our lives, when we die to ourselves and when we love others. I want this message rooted in scripture And scripture shows us God's character, that God is a multiplier, and that multiplication is a sign of blessing. We're going to go through about 10 examples here of how God is all about multiplication. First, opening of the Bible, God commands Adam to be fruitful and multiply. Then God commands Noah and his sons, same thing, be fruitful and multiply. God promises to both Hagar and Abraham separately I will greatly multiply your descendants. There will be too many to count. We see Isaac meeting the Lord, Genesis 26. God promises, I will cause your descendants to become as numerous of, as the stars of the sky. Through your descendants, all the nations of the earth will be blessed, blessing through multiplication. And then a few verses later, when Isaac planted his crops that year, he harvested a hundred times more grain than he planted. For the Lord blessed him. In Matthew 13, we see Isaac's experience; it foreshadowed Jesus' teaching on this. Jesus tells the story of a farmer scattering seeds. I won't read that all, but as Jesus wraps it up, he says this: the seed that fell on good soil represents those who truly hear and understand God's word and produce a harvest of 30, 60, or even 100 times as much as has been planted. What was Jesus' purpose in that? He was asking, what kind of soil are we? What kind of soil are we? So a quick look, the footpath people are those who hear but don't understand. There's no life, nothing springs up. The rocky soil people and the thorny people are the ones that hear and seem to understand, they germinate, and they come to life, but they never bear fruit at all. But then there's the good soil people, and the three characteristics there, they hear God's word, they understand God's word, and they obey God's word. And in obeying, they produce a harvest, a multiplied harvest. This is what characterized good soil people. Then in Luke six, we read about Jesus choosing 12 that he names apostles and they went on to multiply his teaching. Matthew 13, Jesus said this, the kingdom of heaven is like the yeast a woman used in making bread. Even though she put only a little yeast in three measures of flour, it permeated every part of the dough. This is multiplication. It's it's a process that's called budding with yeast where a mature yeast cell puts out one or more buds, each bud growing bigger and bigger until it finally leaves the mother cell to start a new life on its own as a separate cell. And that continues. This budding out multiplication process that Jesus talks about is a description of God's kingdom. It is restated more clearly at the end of Matthew. Jesus gives the Great Commission there. And think about the yeast as you listen to his commandments. Therefore, Go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. This is a self-perpetuating cycle of obedience, just like what happens with yeast. Disciples go out who make disciples who go out and make disciples. Here's a little clarification for you this morning. Jesus doesn't want disciples. Did I say that? I think I did. Jesus wants disciple makers. That's what he's looking for. In fact, let's take it one step further because this is the secret of multiplication. Jesus wants disciple maker makers. That's really what he wants us to be. Makers of disciple makers. That's our calling. That's what it means to follow Jesus is to be a disciple maker maker. We see a miracle in the next chapter, Matthew 14. There's only five loaves, only two fish, but Jesus fed 5,000 men and their families with 12 hand baskets left over. That's the generous God that we serve that you were talking about. And just in case someone was sleeping here, missed that point. Next chapter, Jesus does the same miracle again. This time there's seven loaves and a few fish and they feed 4,000 families with seven large baskets of leftovers for the financial analysts out there, Jesus gives an amazing return on investment example in Matthew 19. Peter said to him, we've given up everything to follow you. What will we get? Jesus replied, and everyone who has given up houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or property for my sake will receive a hundred times as much in return and will inherit eternal life. That sure beats 1.75% interest, hey? hundred times, God is a multiplier. These examples show that he both desires to multiply his blessing to us in love and through us to multiple others. But how does multiplication come? We see an important pattern in scripture, just as it's true for our lives today. Multiplication comes through emptying. And emptying, there we go, comes in many forms, major stress, difficulty, pain, loss. And we see emptying preceding multiplication in each of those examples. Let's go through those quick. God told Adam to multiply right after the earth was formless and empty. God told Noah the same thing after he'd spent an entire year cooped up in an ark, experiencing the destruction of earth's population. Hagar got her promise right after Sarai's severe, harsh treatment of her. Abraham got that same promise after obeying God's command to sacrifice his only son. What an experience. That's traumatic, if anything is. Isaac's blessing of a hundredfold harvest was significant because it happened during a time of famine. The sower in Jesus' parable faced frustrating results in three out of the four areas he was sowing seed. Jesus appointing the 12 disciples, happened after a night of prayer and fasting, solitude and sleeplessness. Yeast is only effective in multiplying if the dough gets punched and kneaded and pummeled. The multiplying of the five loaves and two fish happened after Jesus heard his close half cousin, John the Baptist had been executed. And Jesus was denied the space to grieve because the multitudes found him when he tried to get alone. In multiplying the seven loaves and few fish, they were in a remote location for three days and everyone had run out of food to eat at that point. They had lost strength from acute hunger to the point where Jesus knew that they were going to faint if they tried that journey back home. And when Jesus promised that hundredfold ROI to his disciples, he had just challenged a rich man to empty himself of his earthly treasure. And he had commended his followers for giving up their houses or families or properties for his sake. Pain and loss and suffering do something significant to pave the way for God. I'll give a personal example here. When we left our life in Asia, that was the most difficult time of my life, and it was followed by my wife experiencing a severe case of PTSD, from which she didn't emerge for a full year. First, I lost the country, language, team, local friends, work, ministry, And then coming back, I lost my wife as well for that year. I've never felt so empty as I felt during that year. So each day of those about 15 months, I leaned on Jesus as my rock with confidence in one truth, and that is that nothing difficult can come into our lives without first being filtered through God's love for us. That kept me going. But after Ange and I came through that time of emptiness, God then spoke to us about multiplication. I was at a conference, and a friend got a word for me, he's, and he walked up to me and said, Dallas, I just got to share the word fruitful with you. I felt that coming from God for you. A minute later, another friend who'd been imprisoned for his witness in another Muslim country walked up to me and said, Dallas, I just want to declare over you fruitful ministry, even more than you had on the field. And it was about a year later, another brother brother spoke to me and said Dallas I got a word for you it's multiplication you're multiplying leaders now God's going to use you to raise up workers and since joining the Canadian sending base team of Frontiers Canada we've got to see the finances of the sending base and the home staff quadruple God has used us to help open doors of some exciting ministry for both new harvest workers and major donors and God's not done yet My experience from these past 10 years has taught me to cherish the emptying that God brought us through and to put value on that experience, knowing that it was a time of important preparation. Author A.W. Tozer said this, It is doubtful whether God can bless a man or woman greatly until he has hurt him or her deeply. Do we have the faith to value pain Are we prepared to walk through emptying experiences, trusting in God's love and his bigger purposes? As a disciple of Jesus, we need to count the cost. We need to die to ourselves. We need to expect pain, criticism, misunderstanding, difficulty, physical bodily persecution. That's a promise. All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Look it up. You'll find the Bible verse. That one is there. We had a crisis management team meeting a few weeks ago as we reviewed our plan in preparation for the future. And we were saying, this isn't for if a crisis occurs, it's for when a crisis occurs. Trials are promised and persecution is sure. May God give us that grace to see suffering and difficulty with his eternal perspective. It doesn't work with these eyes, but with his perspective, we can see it as soil from which his blessing of multiplication can grow up out of all right if emptiness is necessary for multiplication how far can we go in an empty tank the bible says that while difficulties come to us through god's hand he then also refreshes and sustains us every day psalm 42 7 and 8 says it really well I hear the tumult of the raging seas as your waves and surging tides sweep over me. But each day the Lord pours his unfailing love upon me. And through each night I sing his songs, praying to God who gives me life. And Jen, let us in the song, come to the fountain, dip your heart in the stream of life. We sung that together. And During the worship time this morning, I got an image in my mind just of this huge stream of water flooding into the room here. And it just literally flooded in. But what was cool is nobody was knocked over. Everybody just kind of stayed in place. So kids and seniors and everybody in between, even you on the camera, the camera was in the flood. (laughs) And it was just refreshing, right? This was life-giving water. It didn't knock us over. So I just thought a question we could ask. Have we, have you, have you dipped in that stream of life today? Are you dipping in that stream of life every day? Because that's our inheritance, we get to do this. We get to be refreshed each day. There's this message of God's unlimited grace. That's what we live in, pouring into our lives. There's a painting here, I bought this with my son in Thailand because God had spoken to me about kind of a waterfall and I've been just kind of nurturing this image in my mind for three or four years now, picturing this grace and love flowing into our heart David wrote in Psalm 23 5 you prepare a banquet for me where all my enemies can see me you welcome me as your honored guest and you fill my cup until it overflows David paints this word picture of his cup overflowing with God's blessing and where was he then was he sitting on his couch was he comfortable and complacent then no at that time he was surrounded by enemies that's the context. That's where this cup of blessing is, surrounded by enemies. That's how he writes it. God means for us to be engaged in spiritual battle. And this, in this enterprise, we will experience his love and grace constantly, pouring into our lives and sustaining us as we abide in him. So when we are fueled up for multiplication, we're receiving his grace, we're receiving his love through his Holy Spirit filling us, what happens next? What does multiplication look like? So I wanna shift overseas now, share a few stories. In this map, you can see, let's see, I think, maybe just before that, is there a map there? We wanna see where the edges of the harvest fields are. And so the red ones there are the unreached, the least reached people groups, those that are furthest from gospel witness. And on the right, you can see the top 30 countries that have the lowest percentage of professing Christians. And of those 30, 27 of them are Muslim countries. This is the edges of the harvest field. This is where we want to work. This is where we do work. And this is where we are praying for God to send out more workers. That's why Frontiers Canada exists, to send out workers to the edges of the harvest field. All of our teams are working together for one thing. Frontiers is focused on movements. We want to pursue movements of churches and disciples to Jesus. So what are movements? Movements are new disciples of Jesus coming in by multiplication not by addition. I like this example. If you led a 1,000 people to Christ every year for 36 years, how many people would you have reached with the gospel? 36,000. However, if you led three people to Christ, discipled them, and trained each one to reach three other people, and everyone that was discipled in turn reached three other people each year, then when we multiply the process out over 36 years, the number of disciples becomes, it's not 36,000. Who's good at math? I'm not this good. It's 1,048,576 new disciples of Jesus. That's multiplication. That's just three per year. Wow. So that's exponential growth. That's spiritual multiplication. So this term movement, when it's applied to Muslim ministry, there's different ways to define it. One leader says it's a hundred churches or a thousand believers baptized in 20 years. Another person says, multiple streams of fourth-generation believers. So that's where I lead someone to the Lord, they lead someone to the Lord, they lead someone to the Lord, right? It's, it's four generations, and it's, it's spreading like that. So I've got a few examples here. Let's see how many I get through. Um, first, I want to mention Kevin and Tracy in Africa. They have experienced very fruitful ministry in one country and a powerful move of God's spirit. But they were then kicked out of that country now, today, they are living just across the border, and they brought in a shipping container of 5,000 Arabic Bibles to send in to the believers there. So they bring church leaders over the border, and they work with them every three months for training. They give them practical skills to open doors for ministry. The training is called, I think, dentistry and discipleship. <laughs> so that involves training and in pulling teeth and movement-oriented church planting training. So they had a new group start this year, past graduates helping to lead and train and teach this time. And now Frontiers Canada is working to help them bring in another container of 32,000 Bibles into this country. I'm super excited about that to help this emerging local church movement. That's multiplying. They've got four generations of believers there. Here's a fascinating statistic. 80% of movements are started by other movements. And in this area, the one tribal group has now planted churches in three nearby unreached Muslim groups. So this is Acts 12:24 in real life. It says, but the word of God grew and multiplied in 2020, not just in the New Testament times. Second story, Simon and Jenny in the Middle East. These aren't the real names and all the pictures are changed, so don't worry. Some of these are just pictures I've taken on my trips. Some of them are from Google images. You have no idea what's what, so that keeps things anonymous. Simon and Jenny served in one country. They saw some people coming to faith, but these Muslims coming to Christ were just bringing inquirers to Simon and Jenny as the foreign experts in how to bring people to Jesus. Then visa troubles hit, they had to leave the country. It was a hard time, emptiness. In the new country, they saw an influx of refugees into that country. These refugees were open-hearted and God's spirit was moving in these hearts of these desperately hurting people. Simon and Jenny felt God telling them, you've got to move up into that area where the refugees are. Be where I am on the move. So they moved from the big city out to the refugee area. At this time, they attended a a six-day multiplication training. The main takeaway was when you think about your vision, ask what do you want to see and what's it going to take? Good questions. Simon said, I realized if Jenny and I are at the center point and everyone has to come and bring people to us to come to know Jesus, this is not going to happen. So they adjusted their approach, lots of trial and error, lots of failed groups, and now they're seeing multiplication happen. So they've, there's a bunch of examples. One of them that I'll share is they met a family of Syrians that had been blockaded in one area for three months. They were eating twigs and grass. That's all the food they had. They're half starved. Their oldest son had been killed during this time. Major PTSD for both parents, and they didn't have any possessions at all. So this team met them, helped them with food and blankets and mattresses, prayed with them in her healing prayer to walk through this deep grief that they had. They started studying the Bible together, and this family's son had leukemia since he was six years old, and God told them to spend a lot of time in focus prayer for the son to be healed. And they did. It wasn't just a snap thing. They spent lots of time. One day, they took the son to the doctor to get full testing, After 13 years of having it, he had no hair on his body, the father said, Simon, I feel really optimistic. I feel God has healed my son. And they weren't believers yet. Simon asked, what makes you say that? Well, last time you guys were praying for my son, I saw this bright light. I wasn't sure if I was tripping on my PTSD medication. I saw this bright light around him, and I heard this voice saying, your son is healed. So they got a full CAT scan and full testing, and on the way back home, the doctor called and said, the testing is fine. There's no leukemia in his body. The dad starts singing and yelling, praise God, praise God. And Simon responds and says, well, you know what this means, right? And the dad says, yes, we've got to tell everybody. Sure enough, the family began sharing, and this became infectious among their friends and family. So this one family has now multiplied to between three to 400 people studying in groups the word of God together. Over half of them have come into the kingdom of God, and they continue to grow there. Mm. All right, one more story. This is Richard in South Asia. He started in one Asian country, basically doing self as strategy. So he was a passionate evangelist, would share with everyone. He had Bible study groups gathered around him. He was leading six every week six evenings a week he was leading a bible study group so maybe house churches but they weren't family networks at the end he got kicked out by the government and all the groups dissipated because he hadn't really developed leaders everything centered on him and it hinged on him in the next country he met a worker from another agency they were drinking tea together and this leader introduced him some of the local believers he was working with one of the local believers was leading 5,000 churches Another was only leading 2,000 churches. Come on, you can do better. You can do more. And he said to Richard, brother, if you want to see movements happen, partner with national believers. It's a challenge in some place because there might only be two believers. But the principle still applies. Two is enough. Even if there's two million people and there's only two believers, work with those believers. So Richard took some training in multiplication ministry, and began vision casting, training others, and coaching them in something called the discovery Bible study method. It's very simple, reproducible. After that, there's three areas that showed encouraging fruit. One of them was with Brother S. And in this area here, um, within a few weeks, they found an interested person of peace. Luke 10 talks about a person of peace. And they started these discovery Bible study groups. Not long after, there were eight first-generation groups that Brother S was leading himself. So then they focused on generational multiplication, and they studied 2 Timothy 2.2. And the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And in that training, they asked the question, what does this verse say needs to happen, or if it does not happen, we can't consider ourselves successful? And they concluded, we're not satisfied until we see fourth generation growth. So 2 Timothy 2.2 became their gold standard for success. And so they had a whiteboard, they were mapping out the different generations. You can see the circles on the papers there. And they drew circles that didn't exist yet with a question mark. That helped Brother S get that vision for the future generations that were still gonna come. A year later, they did an assessment, and it revealed there is 256 active groups meeting in God's Word, with groups going up to the eighth generation. Almost a thousand of thousand people within those groups had received baptism already. And then, when I last emailed Richard for an update, their estimate was that there is now more than 400 active groups meeting together. This is huge. Social media is something else that's really helping to spark these movements so during covid-19 on average people are on their phones at least an extra 20%. This really is a ripe time for this. I want to tell you about one project we're doing in the country that I used to live in that area. There's countless vil- villages where believers have never set foot ever. They've never seen a follower of Jesus, but they're on their phones. And now Matthew 11:28, John 3:16 can pop up on their phone with a little image, they can click it. It can lead them to a series of Bible studies that eventually lead them to a person who can do discipleship and follow up ministry with them in person, in their local language. It's a big deal, it's dangerous. So I invite you to pray for it. Something like this has never been done for this people group before. And I'm very excited about the possibilities. So pray for this. We've got our Frontiers fundraiser coming up on September 26th, and we'll be sharing a bit more about some other social media projects there. So we wanna bring this home now. Is multiplication only for the Muslim world? Does God only do amazing miracles in other countries? Well, I think that's something a lot of us have concluded. But fortunately, God is renewing our minds and saying, okay, no, the Bible isn't just for the Middle East where Jesus grew up. <laughs> it's actually for Canada too. And I've been encouraged just to hear of stories even within Canada of God doing some awesome signs and wonders. That's really exciting and encouraging. So the good news is, is multiplication isn't complex how it happens. There's some simple principles that can be followed in seeing a movement come about. Movements come through extraordinary prayer. So Richard's team, they actually reduced their time in church planting activities so that they could increase their time spent in prayer. That was a key part of their strategy. Movements come through community engagement, meeting felt needs in relevant ways, like Kevin and Tracy's team and this dental training that they are offering. Movements come through finding persons of peace, right? Gatekeepers who open up their relational network to someone bringing in the gospel. Movements come through discovery of God's word and a discovery process instead of just a didactic forward proclaiming teaching process allows the Holy Spirit to be that teacher and it cuts through all the cultural barriers and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit has spoken to someone about how they are to obey him. It's beautiful to use a discovery process with Bible study. And movements come through immediate obedience. So this is reading the Bible followed by making an obedience commitment. This week I will, and fill in the blank. And I invite you to try it today. When you have your quiet time, when you're done, just finish saying this week I will and commit to obeying something in that passage. Maybe you want to be fueled for multiplication too. And I wanna give you some questions you can consider in that. Have you died to yourself? Is your life on the altar? Do you want nothing but to fulfill God's best plan for your life? Do you see God as a multiplier? Do you understand his character to be a multiplying God who loves to just lavish blessing on us and multiply that blessing through us to others? Are you abiding under this waterfall of God's grace? Are you in the stream of God's love day after day, spending time in his presence and just enjoying his love for you? That's our fuel. That's what refreshes and renews us. Are you hearing God's word, understanding it, and obeying it joyfully and producing a harvest as you obey? Are you honouring God and his greatness with prayer requests that would take a miracle to answer? Have you stopped asking, what can I do? And started asking, what is it going to take? It's a bigger question. And it leads us to bigger vision to live towards. If you're asking these questions, you're in a great place for God to use you to multiply his blessing to those around you. Here's the key. Living a multiplied life is not about self-preservation, but it's rather about self-abandonment as we die to self and embrace the life of Christ in us. Abandonment frees us to be generous. We are no longer owners but stewards seeking to invest our time, money, and gifts for eternity. We are characterized by eyes that look out for others in times of hardship, looking for ways to help them. This isn't a message today telling you all to go overseas. Sending others is as important as going. But we definitely do need all hands on deck, everybody, right? There's only one job that Jesus gave to the church, right? And that's to get the gospel out to every ethnic group. There's only one job, we need all hands on deck. But I believe God is much more concerned with our fruitfulness than with our location. So how are you investing to be fruitful and multiply as we've been commanded with your time, your money, your gifts, with who you are? As we close, I wanna give you two invitations just to encourage you to give you opportunity for equipping. First, we've got our Frontiers annual banquet that's shifted to online. And our theme this year is miraculous multiplication. It's gonna be great. We've got top-notch speakers, door prizes. It's gonna be fun. It's only an hour long. It's free, it's online. You don't have to go anywhere. And you only have to remember two things. First, the date, September 26th. So mark your calendars at home, write it down. The other thing you can write down is frontiers.ca. Just go there and you can sign up and register. And there's a bit more information there. So I hope you can make it. I welcome you all to attend. And second, perspectives. And I've talked with Pastor Paul about this. I get to talk to a lot of believers with my role in Frontiers who are dissatisfied with their lives and they're hungry just to connect with God's purpose for why they were born. As God is shaking the world this year, I can't think of a better tool than Perspectives to help churches and believers connect with their God-given purpose in the world. It's 15 lessons. There's experienced instructors. I get to be one of them. There's amazing readings from 152 different authors. The readings is probably the richest part of the course. And it just explores God's global plan from four perspectives, from the Bible, from history, from strategy, and from culture. 250,000 people have already taken this course. And if you want to find out why, I invite you to sign up. October 18th is when it starts. And there's some cards on the back for that. There's also some cards for the banquet if you want to take one as a reminder and also you can sign up for our Frontiers newsletter. We send out three or four every year. It's a way you can hear what God's doing in the Muslim world and you can pray into what's happening. So I wanna invite you just to join us. That's a real simple step you can do. Some of you already signed up, but for those who haven't, take a look there at the table. So to sum up, here's a statement. that's all about seeing things with different eyes than what we might normally use. And you might've heard this before, but it's not asking how many seeds are in the apple? We asked that at the beginning. It's not asking how many seeds are in the apple, but how many apple trees are in the seed? How many apple trees are in the seed? Multiplication is about what we see. So it's not about just even seeing that there's seeds inside of you that are going to spread and bear fruit in others' lives. It's about you living a life where you look around, and everyone you see, you know, I look at Dwayne and I see you know, a whole orchard of 300 apple trees when I look at him because of all the lives and his relational network and the people that he's impacting who will then impact others. It's seeing at a whole different level. And this is what it takes to fulfill the Great Commission where we are disciple maker makers. So my final blessing for you is that all of you will experience God's love. May you experience his grace flowing into you, pouring over you, May you abide in him each day, dipping into the stream of his love. And then may you have the vision to see disciple-maker-makers all around you that you can be investing in and encouraging forward. So I bless you all as a church family. Thanks for having me today.